today on Ag News Daily. We've seen the gloves come off, the cash market has stepped up and just exploded higher. Listeners, welcome back after an Easter weekend, a long three-day market vacation. Tanner and Delaney here to bring you the latest news headlines and market analysis today on April 10th, 2023. Right, Delaney? Absolutely. Tanner, did you have a good Easter weekend? It was. Great weather. Uh, A little breezy here in central Iowa, but uh, it was great weather. Got to see family, have good food, and lots of laughs. How about you? Yes, the weather is my biggest happiness for the weekend. Just finally, it feels like spring is here, Tanner. I'm ready for it. Well, you are in luck because the seven to 10 day continues to have temperatures expected to climb, especially here in uh, the Western US and the Plains. Temperatures 15 to 25 degrees above normal for this season. We could see records getting challenged on Wednesday, according to the National Weather Service. Of course, this brings in chances of thunderstorms, potentially in the central and southern plains most of the corn belt has a limited six to ten day forecast of precipitation with more to follow after that so we'll have to watch that to see if we get some planters rolling here in iowa at least this week jumping the gun to try and beat the next chances of rain yeah you know i think we're gonna have some i as i was driving back to southeast iowa on sunday Saw some guys doing some field work. It didn't look like anyone was planting yet, but I know at least uh, my husband is getting ready to plant probably end of this week, maybe this weekend. So I think we're going to see a lot of planters rolling come next week. So I, I assume next week's crop progress report is going to be fairly well in maybe to double digits, Tanner. Yeah, it'll be interesting, too, because I hear an awful lot of producers saying that they're going to start with soybeans uh, with more confidence, Mm -hmm. putting those into some cooler temperature soils, at least around here in Iowa. But the other thing that's showing up on radar has been smoke plumes, at least here in Iowa. It was quite a few ditches and uh, grass and fence lines burned, which was also very dangerous, as you stated yesterday, quite breezy. Uh, The National Weather Service combined with Des Moines has issued some burn bans. There's also further counties within the state of Iowa, Potawatomi, Montgomery, Page, and Muscatine, as well now issuing burn bans because of extreme fire spreads. Now, these fires reported in Iowa, Delaney, are nowhere near the size of the ones that we reported last year, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska side of things. But there was a fire Sunday night near Runnels that spread for nearly 12 miles. So again, small on the scale of uh, what we've reported on before. But again, just a good reminder to our listeners that it's a dangerous time to be burning anything. It certainly is. Yeah, I, I saw some actually some smoke on the weekend as well, now that you say that. So certainly going to see some drier conditions. And I think we're going to see that reflected today again on the winter wheat conditions report, as that is continuing to be a big driver here for the wheat markets. We're going to get Darren Newsom's take on that coming up here in just a little bit, Tanner. But, you know, we had the three-day holiday weekend and markets definitely are watching, especially in the wheat markets, what we're going to see as far as weather conditions go in the Northern Plains. We're also watching barely very closely to see rising weather concerns in both uh, this, the U.S. here, but also in South America. That's a continued headline we're watching. But 
On the non-weather front, another factor impacting the wheat market is what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. As once again, Russia has made threats, Tanner, about not extending the Ukraine grain initiative. And they are saying as of right now, they're allowing exports from the three approved ports via the Black Sea. But they insist that the latest extension of the grain initiative was only for 60 days, which is now 30 days away. So, you know, we had that back and forth of is this deal 120 days or is this deal 60 days? And Russia is still very much saying we're only in favor. We've only signed up for a 60 day extension. And then it's back to another round of negotiations. So they're really creating a headache here for those folks that are just trying to get their grain out of the country, Tanner. Yeah, and it was interesting to see as the Turkish foreign minister was talking about ways they plan to work with Moscow. They're saying here, quoted, that they'll even work outside of the framework of this initiative if necessary, because we have access to do this with Turkey and Qatar as they look at ports in those areas. Obviously, that's something that will have a major effect. And maybe we can get some updates today in our market conversation about that as well. But we had a fortunate leaking of highly classified Pentagon documents. They were documents released based upon uh, military observation and suggested key weaknesses in the Ukraine's weaponry and air defense systems and their readiness to defeat. It also revealed the U.S. had a penetration of Russia's defense ministry and another organization that has helped provide them with insights to the war. However, the Pentagon is currently working to determine the scale of this intel leak, uh, including this information that is now valuable to Ukraine. Ukraine has already altered some of their military plans due to this leak, said uh, President Zelensky. The Kremlin, however, has dismissed any accusations that Moscow had involvement in this leak. Of course, we'll continue to watch, but the worst fighting remains in eastern Ukraine. Towns that are now largely abandoned have maybe some elderly people that are still living there that refuse to leave their home. Uh, but ultimately, there's not going to be much left of eastern Ukraine. But these leaked documents are posting a pretty large scale of fear, Delaney, as to what all has been made access from our intelligence side of things for the government. And like you said, it could ultimately have a decision on what goes on with the negotiations at the grain deal and how that will affect our markets, too. Yeah. And another geopolitical issue here that could affect our markets or at least our trade relationship with China has been continued military drills. China conducted five live fire military drills over the weekend around Taiwan over the past three days. But reports this morning indicate those drills have officially concluded. These drills did include penetration of Taiwan's territorial waters and simulated precision attacks on strategic points of interest in Taiwan, which by all accounts, Tanner seems is China's response to the Taiwanese president's meeting with U.S. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy last week in California. So that seems like this is their response. As they mentioned, they were not happy and were not going to be happy if the Taiwanese president hit U.S. shores. And this is their retaliation against that. Yeah, that's uh, we may be seeing some retaliation between farmers and bankers. Of course, we've got news here, reports finally coming out of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City stating where ag interest rates are falling for this growing year. We've talked quite a bit, Delaney, about where the sentiment has been. 
uh, in our news reports and where we see funding costs go. But the uh, Nathan Kaufman of the Federal Reserve Bank out of Kansas City said that there are very few loans right now that have an interest rate less than 6%. He provided uh, information during his presentation to press. He said the rising rates not tied to recent bank collapses, but tied to the Wall Street Journal rate, which is ultimately tied to the Fed's rate, is what is causing these to hide. And nearly 80% of all ag lending has seen tightening of credit standards as far as bank approvals go, according to their survey. It looks like regional lenders are seeing various levels of tightening as they rank those from a one to a five. Areas in the South, Delaney, most drought-stricken area, have seen credit standards tighten the most. The CEO for Ag Resource Management said that uh, lending for the foreseeable future could see these types of ratings, and they don't see anything coming down the pipe that would reduce credit standards anytime soon. Also stated that even though credit standards are increasing, the rates also will be increasing. He says higher interest rates are getting really expensive, becoming an operating cost that farmers need to pay attention to, especially as you look at them cutting into profits. Farmers that simply rent land will need to make sure these are included in their production costs. Also, those that have cash on hand, he warned, should be making sure that that cash is put in a account that has interest rate to keep up with the price of inflation. And golly, Delaney, that seems to be difficult to do when we continue to watch the inflation reports. But ultimately, coming out of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, don't see rates slowing down their hike anytime soon. And unfortunately for farmers, that just makes input costs higher. It does, but I'm excited not to tease too much away, but tomorrow we have a really interesting Tech Tuesday conversation, which is aimed at figuring out longer term how farmers can be a little more self-sufficient when it comes to some of those input costs, Tanner. Ooh, that's a good tease. Thank you. I thought so as well. But tomorrow we also have a big headline here as we've got the April WASDE report dropping and a lot of traders are expecting to see some adjustments made to the South American production estimates likely going to be only small tweaks to U.S. ending stocks for both corn and soybeans. But as far as other details go, we're not expecting to see major adjustments here on tomorrow's April WASDE report, because as you'll remember, we just saw on March 31st, the USDA's first look at the 2023 growing season where they revealed their ending stocks for corn and ending stocks for soybeans already, Tanner. So those are high level what we're expecting to see on tomorrow's report, but we'll be sure to share that with our listeners uh, tomorrow after the report drops. Yeah, so Delaney, I only have one last headline, kind of a uh, almost seems movie theater-esque. The Miami police have arrested six suspects for busted in the selling of dairy products. It is a theft ring now responsible for nearly a million dollars worth of stolen dairy items. Dubbed the Got Milk operation, police started in 2021 watching suspects that robbed nearly $925,000 worth of milk from MacArthur Dairy, along with $350,000 of milk crates for transporting the product. They looked, it looks like they swapped ordering system accounts so that way extra dairy product would be loaded onto delivery trucks delivery trucks delaney would then make an extra stop at the beginning of the route dropping off and sent free product 
Therefore, the free product would be sold and the proceeds would be dispersed amongst the six participants. The uh, police highlighted that within hours of the final report and warrant for the arrest, all six of the suspects were placed into custody thanks to the Florida Highway Patrol. So it looks like uh, a ring of theft that lasted nearly two years has now been closed. It'll be interesting to see if we come up with what the punishment will be for these six participants. But that's my last piece for today. I have just one other quick headline here, Tanner, as well, before we hop into markets. And that's a quick update here on the GM Mexico corn ban. If the United States takes the complaint formally against Mexico's ban on imports of GMO white corn to a USMCA panel, we now know, Tanner, that it could take up to 155 days or late December, maybe even early January of 2024 to reach a final resolution, although likely it's suggested that the U.S. will win ultimately. But up until then, it's going to take a long time unless the unless Mexico and, and the U.S. can come to an agreement beforehand. We may see this thing get really dragged out here for the next few months. But a 30 day period for technical consultations between the nations ended on Friday. And so the consultations were just the first step here toward a formal USMCA challenge, but it seems that the Biden administration, Tanner, is working toward a formal challenge. So unless Mexico comes to the table and offers some sort of resolution prior to that, it does sound like that is going to be the next path forward. Oh, yeah, we'll have to definitely shouldn't be a shortage of headlines for us to keep our listeners updated on that side of things. But I'd say it looks like it's time to get into market. Should we have that review today? Well, Tanner, coming off of this three-day weekend, we certainly saw corn, at least, a little higher on the board here today. May corn finished 10 and a half cents higher at 6.54. December, new crop corn up six pennies today, closing at 5.62 and three quarters ahead of tomorrow's WASD report. In the soybean pits, however, they were not excited about the three-day weekend. We are just coming off of September, or excuse me, May soybeans down five and a quarter cent at 14.87 and a quarter. November, new crop beans unchanged on the Day to close at 13.09 and three quarters. In the May winter wheat contract today, we closed three pennies higher at 6.78 and a half. As we take a look at livestock markets here today, they continue to see green on the screen as we head into our key grilling season. Tanner, June live cattle added 60 cents today to close at a buck 63.70. May feeders closed 22 and a half cents higher at 205.62 and June lean hogs added 97 and a half cents today to close at 89.15. Tanner, let's turn it over to our Market Monday discussion here today with Darren Newsom. Well, folks, super excited to chat today with Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. And Darren, you got a new role recently with Bar Chart. Tell our listeners a little bit about that before we dig into markets today. Yeah, it's uh, I, I get, I'm, I'm doing more work with Bar Chart as their senior market analyst. Uh, what does that mean? It means I get to do a lot of talking about a lot of markets that I've always talked about. But so uh, you know, you can find me on BarChart.com uh, as as well as you know on, on our own website. But uh, but I talk about a lot of markets, uh, not just grains and oil seeds, but but I get the opportunity just as I've had before uh, to talk about a lot of things, be it softs, metals, energies livestock, so on and so forth. So a lot of fun, a good group of folks to work with. Absolutely. And Darren, 
you're kind of our resident wheat guy. I feel like being located out there in Nebraska mm-hmm. and just having a, having a finger on the ground of what's going on in wheat country mm-hmm. uh, with your former life. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of reports of deepening <laughs> drought in wheat country and we're seeing pretty poor wheat conditions reported as of last week. Where are we at as far as trading that news in the commodity markets right now? couple things to keep in mind. One, as you well know, and you know where I'm going with this, uh, the wheat or any crop condition numbers are completely irrelevant. They're, they're absolutely made up. Um, so, you know, we can kind of toss those out. But if we look at what the market has been telling us for a long time, the traders know that the commercial side of the markets know there is a real problem out in wheat country. And, you know, week in and week out for, I don't know, we have back over a year, maybe, maybe a year and a half. Now, uh, if we look at the drought monitor maps, the readings that we're getting from that are extreme to excessive across much of the U S Southern plains. And it's just not going away. As you said, I, I still get to talk with folks out there uh, out in that part of the world. And, these are these are folks who have been farming for a long time. They've seen they've seen the best and worst of, of conditions and they don't get overly excited. They don't jump on the wheat is dead bandwagon all that often. But here the last few weeks, they've called me. They've talked to me. They said they have haven't there hasn't been anything like this since the 50s or 60s. And quite frankly, the crop is dead. Uh, and this was over much of you know, the parts of, of southwest Kansas. Now, some of that area has seen some rain the last couple of weeks. And wheat being wheat, it'll probably be enough to green some of it up. But the rest of it is probably just gone. Uh, and how far has the market uh, pushed this? I think it's just waking up to that fact right now. At the end of March, if we look at the if we look at the monthly chart for the bar chart National Hardwood Winter Wheat Cash Index, uh, intrinsic value of the market, we got a a long term bullish reversal on that. You know, from a technical point of view, on that monthly chart, so it's telling us that the long term trend looks to be changing. Uh, to me, the key price is if we can get above the uh, February high of eight eighty four. Uh, then I think we're off to the races. It's going to take some time because, again, over the decades, we've learned that you can't count wheat completely out, no matter how dead it looks. So we're not going to see this big rush of money, or I should say we shouldn't see this big rush of money, um, investment money coming in. But we are starting to see signs that they are getting interested. The latest CFTC commitments to Treasury reports showed they switched from a net short futures to a net long. So buying is starting to come in. I think there's some room to the upside. Uh, I, I really do. As fundamentally bullish as it is, as short as the market could be, or as the crop could be, I think it gives the market some upside potential. Yes, that's uh, certainly going to be a potential that we have to watch. But what type of effect can the wheat market have on corn and soybeans? That's that'll be interesting. Uh, I'm going to guess it's not going to have a huge effect on soybeans. And then there's the old, you know, as soon as you see either corn or or one of the wheat markets get out of line uh, with with the other markets, then you hear, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to be switching the rations over from uh, from wheat to corn or corn to wheat and whatever it might be. It just doesn't happen that easily. Uh, you know, we talked to I've talked to a lot of cattle. Uh, feed yards and cattle producers over the years. And you just can't, you just can't switch the ration just like that. It takes time. And and the interesting thing is across the Southern Plains, 
is that we don't have any stocks left over. We have tight stocks left over from the pre from this marketing year. So we don't have a lot that's going to get to step in and all of a sudden replace feed that way. Uh, and so now we're looking at, at the next crop also being short. So the idea that we're just going to be able to, you know, that we're just going to have enough corn to, to get by without having any wheat feed, that's probably one thing. But we also have to remember that's a corn deficit area as well due to the weather the last couple of years. When we have been seeing the incredible basis moves over the course of the fall and winter and even now into the spring, it's coming from the Southern Plains. Why? Because they don't have any corn either. So they don't have any corn and they don't have any wheat. So if nothing else, the effect this is going to have on the corn market is it's going to keep the base as strong at least through the spring and into the summer. Darren, that almost sounds like you're a little bullish there. You know, I, I'm, I've always been willing to be bullish when the market says it's time <laughs> to be bullish. Um, I don't like to be bullish just because it's a day that ends in Y. But if the market is telling me, I mean, if we've got inverted future spreads and we've got non-commercial money coming back into the market, if we've got strong basis, I'm not going to sit there and say, okay, we can take all of these bullish things into account, but because I want to be, we need to be bearish. That's not how it's going to work. Now, I'm not saying money's just going to come again. Money's not just going to flow into the hard red winter market. It seldom does. Uh, and it's not just going to take off and fly because there is enough experience to know that wheat is the cockroach of the grain world. If it gets a, even a slightest chance, it's going to produce something. So the worst case scenarios, you know, as far as production, as far as supplies probably won't be seen until combines run across the Southern Plains or insurance just zeroes it all out this, this spring and early summer. So we'll have to see, we'll have to wait on it, but it still looks like it's got some room. Darren, I, I think that's a little bit opposite almost than maybe what other folks are suggesting for farm income for 2023, simply because we've had a couple of really strong years now. And I know a lot of analysts, a lot of brokers are trying to forewarn farmers a little bit. Hey, let's not get too aggressive this year. Let's not get too greedy because we've had some really good years. But the train, the gravy train is running out this year. Are you sharing that similar sentiment? You know, I, I really I, I don't know where they come up with these ideas. It's always interesting when when the bandwagon gets so full or another way of looking at when everybody runs over the same side of ship, it tends to tends to pull off a Poseidon uh, effect. So, you know, it, it have we been in long term downtrends? Yes. Going back to the spring, late spring, early summer of 2022, we saw corn. We saw soybeans and wheat, all of them post, uh, all of them post key reversals that that told us that the long-term trends were down, and they've been down up through, you know, in some cases, still going on through this spring. But I don't know that there's a lot of room to the downside because we really haven't solved the U.S. tight supply and demand problem, particularly in soybeans. I mean, we we just had the May July spread uh, in soybeans go to a thirty cent inverse and close there last Friday. I mean, I, I, I know there's a lot of opinions on on spreads, but the one thing that it does tell us is that the commercial side doesn't know where it's going to get bushels. In the corn market, we've got incredibly strong basis. I talked about it in the Southern Plains, but the ripple effects are across the national basis market. So we know we still have tight supplies and we know we still have strong demand for U.S. corn. So the idea that we're just going to collapse this market, is it a possibility? Yes. Are we going to take out last year's highs? Probably not. Could we rally from where we are this early this spring? Yes, I think so. And I think it's going to give us some better selling opportunities.
Yeah. When Delaney talked about bullish, it seems like that's what a lot of the cattle guys feel right now, mm -hmm. but on the livestock side of things, what are we seeing? What we're seeing, what's fascinating to me, uh, David, is that, you know, the, you know, the last year, year and a half, we saw this oddity where the futures market was leading cash. And I'm talking about the cattle market. The futures market was leading cash. And it's not just, that's just something that we're not used to seeing. At least I'm not used to seeing it. And then the last two weeks, we've seen the gloves come off. The cash market has stepped up and just exploded higher. And the futures market almost looked like it was running out of gas here as we came to the end of, of March. It looked like it was getting ready to roll over. It looked like money was going to start coming out and go over to other markets, possibly energies, possibly wheat, who knows. Uh, but all of a sudden, we've got these incredible three, four, five dollar jumps per week in the cash market and futures have no choice but to go with it. So now as we're sitting here coming out of last Friday's markets where we talked about what 171, 172 in the South, 177, 178 in the North. And we had uh, April futures around 171. We've got June down around 162. So, I mean, now it looks like the futures market's got some catching up to do. How high could this go? Questions been asked to me. I have no idea, but Right now, it's a matter of demand. It's just, we, 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 all indications are, you know, if we use the cash cattle and boxed beef as an economic indicator, the, the economy is stronger as we're getting into grilling season, late spring and summer. So there's plenty of demand out there. I'm not worried about supplies. We still have ample supplies of cattle. But right now, it's a demand issue. And packers are getting a lot coming out of the plant. And they're putting more into it as they're, buy, as they're, as they're making sure they're locking in supplies coming into the plant. And right now, it's hard to put a top on this thing uh, until, you know, until one of the until demand starts to slow down. So, Darren, as you mentioned earlier, you've started working with Bartard a little more heavily here. You're senior analyst for them there and you're following a lot of different issues. Are there any topics we missed today that are top of mind for you right now for producers as they head into the fields? A couple of things we have to keep in mind is, you know, number one. Obviously, it doesn't look like the Brazilian soybean crop was everything it was cracked up to be, because, again, we can look at the U.S. soybean market and see that there's still demand out there well beyond what it should have been had that been a record uh, had that been a record crop. Obviously, we've got the in the, the energy sector. We've got, uh, you know, all of the news, recent news coming out of OPEC really wasn't a huge surprise. But the market spiked uh, a week ago and really has just flattened out waiting for the next waiting for the next headline to come across. So certainly I have to keep our eye on that. Seasonally, this is a time of year when crude oil distillates start to move higher as well. So we need to be very aware of that. And, you know, we've talked livestock. Uh, the other one would be the hog market right now. It's just a, it's just a, I'm not going to call it a catastrophe. That's probably an overstatement, but it's an ugly market. Uh, we've got selling coming from everywhere. Funds have built up a large net short. So at some point, maybe this market turns around, but I think it's going to have to, just as the cattle did, it's going to have to come from the cash side before to do it. Well, that's good. We appreciate you jumping on here and filling our ears full on this Market Monday. <laughs> if listeners want to check in with you a little bit more and follow along, how can they best find you? couple ways. Again, go to barchart.com. You can go to their news page and you can see all the different articles and everything that I've posted uh, on that site. Or you can go to our website, darrennewsome.com. Uh, and again, uh, take a look around, sign up for a free trial, see what we talk about, how we analyze and comment on things and, and go from there. Delaney, like I said, it was always great and a pleasure to have Darren be a part of our Market Mondays. 
Thanks so much to him and his crew, as well as every time we put together a Market Monday. Listeners, if you've got your favorite analysts that you'd like to hear from, don't be afraid to let us know. Maybe we could bring them on to fill one of these segments. Absolutely, Tanner. We would love to get some new voices on the podcast. But in the meantime, should we let our listeners go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 